I'm just going to pray, and then we'll get rolling forward. We like to pray a lot here. So. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness, for what you have given to us, which is your son, and that you have held nothing back from your saints, being able to live a godly life. And God, we just thank you for that. And I pray that we would understand your heart a little bit more today for your church and what you want for us to do in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So this sermon is largely birthed from a dream I had like a decade ago. It was a while ago. And in this dream, I was in Tornado Alley. If you guys know where that is, that's the part of the country where tornadoes happen a lot. And my wife would never want to live there. But <laughs> it's an area, they, they happen every year. With, I mean, it seems to be without fail. And it came to me when my wife and I went to Joplin, Missouri, when there was a horrible tornado that happened there many years ago. And in this dream, we were going around, houses were fine, with the exception of one thing. They didn't have a foundation. All these houses were just up on blocks. I don't know if you have a picture up there. Um, yes. So this is actually Michonne's house from years back that was being moved. And you can see that it's propped up. It's being prepared for moving to a different location. But in this dream, these houses were propped up like this, but they weren't being prepared to be moved. People were just going about their day, living life normal, mowing the lawn, doing their normal business, and I'm going through this town, and I'm just like, where's your foundation? What are you doing? You're, you're living life normal, like there's no problem. Do you not see that your house is like up on cinder blocks? You're in Tornado Alley. It is common knowledge, if you've ever been around tornadoes and live in an area that has them, you need a basement. <laughs> if you don't have a basement, if you don't have a foundation, your house is not going to make it, and neither are you. So, the title of this sermon is, Where is Your Foundation? And in Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm 11, verse 3, it says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So in this dream, I woke up, I felt like God was telling me, this is about the American church. They have lost their foundation. Much of it has been taken away, is suffering, has been stripped away, whatever it might be. But it's suffering. And it needs to change. If it doesn't change, when the storms come, and they're going to come, right? That's what Jesus said. They're not going to make it. The church is going to suffer. It's going to be a problem. Can you grab my water and bring it up here? Right next to you, Caden. I'm going to need it. I can already tell. So, I believe the foundation of the church today is greatly suffering. And this dream that I had was like 10 years ago. I feel like it's worse now than it was before. I'm going to drink some water and be awkward. The things I want to mention to you are not by any means the entirety of the foundation that the book of Acts church had. And that's largely where I'm going to be, and I'm going to be sharing a lot of scripture, so if you have your Bibles, just follow along, and I'm largely staying in the book of Acts. There are key pieces missing 
to the church today that were present with the early church. Now, the book of Acts is a book that talks all about the early church. It's after Jesus ascended into heaven, and he says, go and make disciples, but wait. We've learned all about this the last couple of weeks with things that Tim's been sharing with us. But in the book of Acts, there's elements of the church that are vitally important for its survival because they're godly principles, they're godly virtues that are going to cause you to withstand the storms that life has. So, I've got five of them for you. And like I said, this isn't all of them, okay? There's many more that you can probably think of that are missing in the church today. But these ones I feel like are the ones God is really wanting to bring to our attention. So the first one I have for you is community. You read in the book of Acts this amazing sense of community that the church has. I'm going to read a little bit of it for you here today. When I read these passages, I'm going to have them up here. I want you guys all together to say the word together when the word together shows up. That makes sense, right? Okay, let's read it together, okay? Starting at Acts chapter 1, verse 14, and then there's a couple more I'm going to jump along with, okay? But Acts 1, verse 14, in the ESV translation says, All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Next verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. So this one was all about they're waiting for Jesus, they're waiting for Pentecost, they don't know when the Holy Spirit's going to come back, but Jesus said, wait. But what did they do? They waited what? Together. And then Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Next passage, this is a chunk of scripture here, but it's super important. I want us to listen very closely. You have to, to be able to say together at the right time, right? Chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, this is the tail end of chapter 2, okay? It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and all things in common, had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Like the rescue mission. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Do we see that today? I don't feel like we see it like that. I mean, that's impressive. That's amazing that these people come together and they're doing this. Now, here's the thing. At this point, the church was like 3,000 people. That's a lot. (laughs) It's pretty incredible to have that many people together. Now, the word that we get for church is called ecclesia. Everyone say ecclesia. This word is a Greek word that means called out ones. 
but it's not just called out to be by themselves. Another way you could translate it is assembly. It's a coming together. It's a called out to assemble. Any Marvel fans here? No? (laughs) But really, this Greek word is not about solo. It's not doing church you and Jesus. It's doing church we and Jesus. Tim had an awesome quote last week. I'm going to share it. It says, it's we, not me. We together coming after God. That's what church is. That's it at its truest self, is being together. You can't have church by yourself. You can be the church, in a sense, on your own, but if you never come together, there's foundational pieces missing. There's pieces missing of the foundation of the church that are vital to its survival. Imagine taking out just one corner of a building. What happens? <laughs> whole thing's going to fall, right? But that's essentially what happens when we try to take out community. When we try to remove community from our lives and say, nah, I don't need them. Well, actually, you do. <laughs> and Jesus actually even says that you need them. We need each other. It's vitally important for the church today. The Holy Spirit was poured out on 120 people at the beginning, but they were together. Now, God can do what he wants, basically, for the most part, right? (laughs) He could have chose to just pour out his spirit after everybody woke up for the day in their own houses. (laughs) He could have waited until they were at home by themselves for the day and just poured out his spirit, and then everywhere they were, the people came out and speaking in tongues or whatever. I don't know how he would have done it, other than we see how he wanted to do it, right? He wanted to do it with them together. There's a community aspect that he's like, you guys need to be one, and the world needs to see that. They need to see a oneness about you, because it's important. I got another verse I want to share that even brings this home even more. Acts 4.32 says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Everyone say one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Do you guys hear the absolute language that's being used in this? The full number of believers, some translations say all believers, The church grew by this point to at least 5,000 men plus women and children. That's impressive. I got to drink some water. Honestly, to have that many people be of one heart and soul is nothing short of an act of God. Honestly, it's... It's hard to have that just in your family, right? (laughs) Is your family 10,000 people? (laughs) Probably not, which is what they believe the church probably was. If you add women and children to the mix, it was at least that. To have this many people be of one heart and soul is truly a miracle. It is God's spirit moving, which is the point, right? That's the whole purpose, is for it to be seen as an act of God, saying, This is impossible without Jesus. This is impossible without his spirit being poured out 
onto people and moving through them to love one another and love others. This is the very thing that Jesus prayed into action in John 17. He says, Lord, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. He's praying to God the Father. That's the Trinity. (laughs) That's really hard to do, right? You almost need the Spirit of God to do it. I mean, you do need the Spirit of God, not almost. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is coming back for a pure bride. Does it look pure right now? I mean, it looked way more pure then. What's happened in the last 2,000 years? What changed? There's a lot of things you could probably point the finger at, right? But, I mean, if you don't point the finger at yourself, then you're not pointing it at all of it, probably. I mean, we have a tendency to put our own interests above others, right? To do what we want instead of what God wants us to do on behalf of his church. That includes what they did here. It says, nobody said anything belonged to them that was their own. Everything they were being a steward of. Nothing was ownership. They didn't see anything as, this has my name on it and that's it. (laughs) But we do that with our chairs, right? (laughs) The seats we sit on. (laughs) That's my seat. (laughs) Come into the sanctuary. I mean, some of you are probably like, wait, there's a teenager in my spot. What do I do? (laughs) You were never so scared of a teenager in your life. Do you want to be one, or have you grown comfortable with disunity? Have you grown comfortable with just living life how it is right now in the church? Or are you going, wait a second, that's not me. That's not us. Something's wrong. There's a foundation that needs to be repaired, right? Whenever disunity happened in the church then, they were not afraid to correct it and call it out. You can read the letters of Paul, and he does it. He talks to two women at one point who were arguing and bickering in the book of Philippians. He says, now bring them together, because that's where they belong. Stop the fighting. Watch out that bitterness doesn't take root in your soul, and then you bite and devour one another. That's in Scripture. The next point I have is prayer. The next foundational thing that I feel like is missing. Now, we just did prayer and fasting, right? A week ago, how many of you are glad we're eating more regularly again? (laughs) Right? But in the book of Acts, it talks a lot about prayer. Expected, right? But Acts 1.14, if we go back to that, this is before Pentecost happened, and it says... All these with one accord were devoting themselves to what? Prayer. Sounds fitting, right? Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Tim mentioned two weeks ago that the church was birthed from a prayer meeting, which is true. We just read about it. But I would go further and say that it was also sustained through continual prayer meetings. It wasn't just a one-and-done thing. It wasn't like, hey, let's come together, let's pray, and then when Jesus does what he said he was going to do, then we just 
solo, be on our own. We don't even need to pray anymore because God's just filled us and we can do everything. Well, that's not how Jesus lived, right? He was praying constantly. So much so the disciples lost him a lot of the time. <laughs> they couldn't find him. I don't know about you, but I would be terrified to lose the Savior of the earth. <laughs> they were the ones that were lost, though, honestly, right? <laughs> but it's sustained through continual prayer meetings. It's not something that is over with one time. We can still come together and pray. And I hope we do more often these things. But in the book of Acts, i got to be careful with saying that, right? <laughs> Acts 3.1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Some translations say you know, about 3 p.m. It was the afternoon. They had a specific time that they would go and pray together. If you didn't know this, we actually have that every Sunday. Right over there. <laughs> 8.20 before service, and 10.20. Just a little plug for you. <laughs> but they would go together to pray. And it was actually a habit that they had instilled into the church where they would come as one to pray. Do you do that? Or do you just come together to hear me talk? Or Tim talk, or Daniel talk, whoever is preaching, right? Well, that's what we tend to do. We go, man, I, would just, I really got to get filled up. I really got to hear from God. You can hear from God any time of the day. And not only that, you can talk to him any time of the day. We need to pray. But here's the thing. Not just praying on your own, which is important. Jesus did it. But coming as one. Building the foundation with the community aspect. Praying as one. It says they were of one heart and soul. How can you be of one heart and soul if you never hear each other? <laughs> if you never talk to one another, if you never pray with one another? God wants this to be our reality. Amen? Get my notes squared away here. Acts 4.31, just going a little bit further through, and I'm just, I'm just sticking in the book of Acts so you know. You can see this for yourself. But Acts 4.31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place with which they were gathered together, there's that word again, right? <laughs> was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I'm probably going to step on some toes here a little bit, but our typical attendance of our church is about 300 people on a regular basis every weekend, okay? The amount of people that we had at the prayer meetings day to day was at best like 40 people. Most of them were about 30. What percentage is that of 300? You guys don't want to say. <laughs> right? We give God a tithe with our prayer meetings. Think about it. <laughs> Is that what we're supposed to tithe? No. I mean, I know this for myself. I mean, this is true for myself. I, I feel like I'm terrible at prayer a lot of the time and terrible at doing it. When I pray, I go, man, this, why do I get upset about having to do this? It's really not that big a deal. 
did you go based off of the videos that the 10%, right? Now, if you go based off of the videos that we, lit, that we had online, that gets better. The most was 100 people, about 115, 120 views, and that was for Tim, rightly so, right? <laughs> Woohoo! But 10% of 300 is 30 people. What's 100? It's still just a third, right? What does it say in the passage that I read? They were all together. They all gathered together. They were all of one heart and soul. They gathered as one. The first prayer meeting, which was everybody, was 120 people. And they didn't go, well, hey, we do this prayer thing from time to time. If you have the time, come join us. <laughs> no. They were gathering together often to pray. Any problem they had, they prayed. Somebody gets thrown in jail, they pray. Somebody's murdered, they pray. They get threatened that this needs to stop. Stop telling people about Jesus, they pray. And they didn't just pray by themselves. They came together and said, we gotta pray. <laughs> Is there an earnestness in you to pray? Because in the church in America, and honestly, I mean, you could argue our own church. It's not, right? Now, I'm sharing this message because I don't want to have Tim do it. <laughs> you guys, this is me, okay? This is me talking about this. <laughs> but we need to look at this and be honest with ourselves and say, do we have a true foundation of prayer the way the book of Acts had one? Or is it suffering? Are there blocks missing? Are there cracks in the foundation that we need to fix? For myself, I went to one of the prayer meetings on, I want to say it was Thursday night, and it was really impactful for me because it really honestly showed me, gosh, I need to pray more. <laughs> I went there, and there's these powerhouse people praying. We got Kim Eldred was in there. There's Wes Vulcan in there, John and Don Kinzel, and these people pray. I mean, I feel like every word they say is prayer, <laughs> but... I was there, and I'm listening to them pray, and I'm like, gosh, my prayers suck. <laughs> they're, they're not nearly as powerful as theirs. <laughs> Their prayers are just so huge. They're so big. And for me, it was me learning, I got to step it up. <laughs> I hear excuses all the time, especially because I'm a youth pastor. Well, I just I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. I mean, what do you, how do you pray? What is prayer? Well, these are all questions the disciples ask too, right? And for me, I'm like, go around people that know how to do it, and you'll learn something. <laughs> or also just read the Bible, because that's essentially what they pray all the time. <laughs> and then start speaking it, right? But I know for myself, God was just telling me, you need to pray with others and get yourself around people who pray, who know how to do it, who are powerhouse prayer people, prayer warriors, the ones that are going to call down fire from heaven on an altar like Elijah did, right? And he doused the thing in water. He's like, he's going to do it. I'm going to make it real hard for him. I'm so confident that he's going to do what he said he would. 
And I go, man, that is not the faith that I got. <laughs> How do you get it, though? In a way, it's almost like through osmosis. You get around other people that do it. And you go, man, I don't know how to pray. Well, get around somebody who does. <laughs> Start to learn. Say, hey, how do you pray? They might say, well, every day at 6 o'clock, come over to my house, and I'll show you. <laughs> you might not want to do that. <laughs> but are you serious about it? Do you want this foundation to be the way it was when Jesus had just left the scene and poured out his spirit? I know I do. Leonard Ravenhill says in a book that Tim and I have been reading, this is the book if you're interested, come talk to me afterwards. <laughs> but he says in this book, why revival tarries that we cannot have big results in our praying with small prayers. The law of prayer is the law of harvest. So sparingly in prayer, reap sparingly. So bountifully in prayer, reap bountifully. The trouble is we are trying to get from our efforts, what we never put into them. We say, God, I want you to move. I want you to do this. And he's like, well, move my hand then. Get it to move. Pray. Do something about it. Get an earnestness in your spirit that says, I'm not going to stop talking to you, God, until you move your hand, <laughs> until you do something about this. But you also need to read the scriptures. You get a good understanding of sometimes he doesn't always move the way you want him to. But when you read the word, you go, oh, okay, that's why you didn't do what I thought you were going to do. <laughs> Another quote from William Cowper says, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. You might be thinking, man, I'm not John Kinzel. I'm not Kim Eldred. I'm not Don Kinzel. I'm not all these amazing prayer people. Well, the devil trembles when you start praying too. <laughs> start doing it. That's really the honest truth. We just, we just got to do this thing, right? I know for myself, I'm like, gosh, I don't pray enough. I don't pray powerful enough. And God's like, well, start. <laughs> you can. Amen? The next one is boldness. I've been a little bold today, right? Boldness. I Honestly, I, I think this is a very prevalent one that's missing. The aspect of the church that is missing today, there's a big cowardness about it. There's not a boldness that there used to be. I mean, you go read the book of Acts, you see people that are absolutely unconcerned with what's going to happen to them. They, they're like, God, I'm concerned that I'll stop doing this. So they pray. In Acts 4.13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this is the leaders of the time, man was healed miraculously on the way to the prayer meeting. That I said, they were going to the hour of prayer. Guy gets up, healed miraculously. He'd been placed there every day as a paraplegic. He couldn't walk. Revival breaks out. <laughs> The leaders didn't like it because they were talking about Jesus and not them. So, this is where we get into the picture. It says, with boldness, John and Peter were talking to them. They had perceived they were uneducated. Ouch, right? 
He had perceived they were uneducated, common men, unlike themselves, right? <laughs> they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Boldness has a way of showing Jesus that nothing else does. It raises a confidence in you. Now, the world might take it as arrogance sometimes. But if it's the truth, is it arrogance? Depends how you say it, right? Peter and John, they stand up and they, they're filled with tremendous boldness and say, this guy's healed because of Jesus, who you crucified. And then he was raised from the dead. Now, that's pretty, pretty bold. They're like, you murdered the man. Not something you want to say to somebody with power. Does this look like how the church operates today? We keep our mouth shut with the truth all the time, right? We don't want to talk about it. And then we, there is this thing that wants us to talk about it called the Holy Spirit. But we oftentimes quench it, get in the way, shut it up, say, no, I don't want to do that. God, you know how it's going to make me look? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> But do you know how what you keeping your mouth shut is going to make me look? <laughs> Say something. Do something about it, right? You're either going to do this funny skit. I'll get this out of the way here. So this comes, and you can go watch the video yourself. Eight Reasons Why I Can't Share My Faith is a video on YouTube, and it's super funny. It's from a long time ago, even more than 10 years ago. <laughs> and... They did their own kind of rendition of it, and we're just going to do four reasons for you, okay? And they're going to come up here, do this skit all about boldness, having boldness, being filled with boldness, and what it looks like when we choose to refuse boldness, and what it actually is, okay? So let's take a watch, huh?
That's, that was pretty awesome, huh? <laughs> I've had that dream for a long time to have that skit. It came with much pain. <laughs> but, I mean, it paints a good picture, right? We have more excuses than that a lot of the times. But maybe one of them resonates with you. I mean, you look at the book of Acts, were they scared of getting beat up? Were they scared of getting made fun of, ridiculed, threatened? Maybe there was a little bit of terror. But then they just prayed. Say, Lord, give me boldness so that I don't stop doing this. Give me boldness that exceeds my fear because I need it. There's a lot of reasons to stop sharing your faith sometimes, but there's no good one, right? There's no good excuse. Somebody's car's going off. In Acts 4.13, I'll read this again. When they saw the boldness of John and Peter, they perceived they were uneducated common people. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you went to scholarly school for like eight years. It doesn't mean anything. You are capable of sharing Jesus. You just got to open your mouth. They recognize that they had been with Jesus. That's what happens when a boldness comes inside of you that isn't natural. That's supernatural. It does something to the people that are listening to you. Like I said, this isn't necessarily every reason that we, we had here. But how many of you, one of these reasons has been stopping you? It stopped you from sharing your faith with your family, friends, coworkers, neighbors. Sometimes we, we don't think that we know enough. Like I mentioned, they were just common people. Well, that didn't stop them. It's a matter of being with Jesus and him speaking to you and speaking through you and going, this is not my words, this is the words of God and what he wants to share. And you say, do you know about Jesus? He could change your life. and He wants to. They might ask some questions. You're like, I don't know the answer to that. But you share what you know. You say, I don't know what that is, but I do know this. Jesus changed my life. I was a different person before. Now I am different. I'm not the same. And he can do the same for you. The thing that I noticed that was really eye-opening to me when I read this stuff in the book of Acts is I don't really see much of a praying for opportunity because they happen all the time. They were praying for boldness for the opportunities when they happen. They needed the boldness. They're like, I know there's chances to share Jesus. It's just a question of whether I'm going to take them. Because <laughs> I know my tendency is to shut my mouth. In Acts 4, 29-31, we see after they get threatened by these people that they're telling, you crucified Jesus, they say, okay, fine. We won't arrest you, but stop saying these things. You can talk about this message as long as it's not with Jesus. Well, then there isn't a message, right? 
And so they get threatened. And what happens is they go back, they tell the believers that they're friends with, the people that they're in the faith with, the church, about what happened. And this is what they pray. Acts 4, 29-31, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They're like, we just did it. We know we can. <laughs> Help us to keep doing it. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Holy Spirit falls out and fills everyone present. And what did they pray? They didn't say, Lord, fill me afresh and anew. Lord, I want to speak in tongues again. Fill me, God. <laughs> they didn't say what we oftentimes do, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, God. No, they just said, Lord, we don't want to stop saying these things. There's a part of us that wants to, because we're a little nervous. But we don't want to, because we know it's what you want for us. They just say, Lord, fill us with boldness so that we don't stop doing this. And it says that they were. And what was the Holy Spirit result? It says that they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That is the spiritual aspect of being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is an actual evidence, an actual proof that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, is that you have boldness. Is the American church filled with the Holy Spirit? We've got to ask these questions, right? We've got to be honest and say, does that look like us? Are we doing this? Or is it a different picture than the book of Acts? The believers prayed for opportunities. This changed the way I pray when I saw this reality. I was like, God, you're so right. I've been praying for opportunities and then see them and don't do anything all the time. He's like, you need to pray for the boldness. What good is an open door if you're never going to walk through it? Right? What good is an opportunity if you're never going to take it? That's why we got to pray for boldness, or we're never actually going to seize those chances and opportunities. Peter had a chance, and he failed when Jesus was crucified. He had an opportunity to be bold and declare him, right? But what does it say he did? He shut his mouth. Or he just flat out opened it and said, no, that's not me. I wasn't with Jesus. Well, then it changed, right? Later on, his boldness goes, he's been with Jesus. <laughs> he's different. Part of me wonders if they recognized him <laughs> as somebody who denied him before. We don't have that in Scripture, but hey, it's a thought, right? This changed how I pray. Is it how you pray? Or do you say, Lord, just, I pray for an opportunity to share Jesus. Why would I give you more if you're not even taking the ones I give you? Right? Pray for boldness, amen? The next point I have, this one's a bit different than boldness. It's pretty similar, but I think there's a distinction enough that is worth mentioning. Perseverance. 
Boldness is good, but continual boldness is better. They have boldness, and then they pray for more. They say, God, help us to continue to talk like this. Help us to continue to declare your truth. A perseverance is important, because without it, the church is going to die. If you don't have perseverance, you're not going to make it. One time of somebody making a mockery of you is going to be reason enough for you to stop, right? And it's going to shut you up. Acts 8, 1 through 4, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. This is talking about the first martyr, Stephen. And Saul was there, who later becomes Paul, and he was approving of his death. So this is what follows. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. They mourned, they grieved. Not a thing that's ungodly. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Did you see that last part? He was going house to house, dragging men and women off, committing them to prison, ravaging the church. Did they stop? No, they just got a little strategic. (laughs) Just maybe moved around a little bit. But it didn't stop them. When they were scattered, they didn't scatter and get quiet. They continued to preach the word. They went about preaching the word. They didn't stop. They continue to preach the word of God even though they know things can get really bad for them if they do. It's possible it might get ugly. They had a perseverance that I don't think the church really has today in a lot of ways. Acts 14.22 tells us, this is the same guy, mind you, that was ravaging the church. Paul later comes to faith, and this is what happens. He goes to a city called Lystra, and they try to kill him there. And while he's there, they stone him with rocks. i got to specify with rocks nowadays, because people think something else all the time. (laughs) But he's getting ridiculed for his faith. People try to kill him. They're throwing rocks at him. And so much so that he's left for dead, they drag him out of the city and leave him there for animals to devour him, basically. (laughs) They're just disposing of the body. (laughs) But what ends up happening is he gets up, just dusts it off, and goes back in there. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) We don't do that, right? Most people would be like, well, I guess I'll dust things off my feet and go to the next town. (laughs) That's what Jesus told me. Well, maybe he did. Maybe he didn't, though. (laughs) So later he goes back again for a second time. And this is what he tells the believers there. It says that he was 
strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. What? <laughs> through much suffering, pain, tribulation, that's how I get in? <laughs> I thought it was, he makes everything nice and fluffy and flowery for me. No. There's a perseverance that they have, and Paul says, you need it, or you'll give up. He goes there, he strengthens them, he encourages them, and then he tells them the honest truth. Don't stop, because you're going to want to. It might get ugly, but keep doing it. It's almost like Paul's saying, persevere or else. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't want the or else. The last point I have, and i got to make this quick, 1026. Last point I have is the fear of the Lord. This is a big one. It's heavy. If you don't know what the fear of the Lord is, research it. Read books on it, and you still won't know. <laughs> In Acts 5, I'm just going to read this passage here, okay? I want you guys to listen. If you've got to close your eyes to focus, go ahead. Unless you're going to fall asleep, then don't close your eyes. Okay. <laughs> Acts 5, 1 through 11. This is a story in Scripture that we often don't like to talk about. We don't like to preach it. <laughs> but I'm going to preach. I won't preach it anyways. Acts 5, 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. How many of you would like that job? <laughs> After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Given her a chance. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who, together, who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came, in they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these. If your hair isn't standing up right now, there's a problem. The foundation is missing. It says not just those who were present had the fear of the Lord come on them. It was those that heard it. We read this all the time. 
in the church if you're reading your Bible. <laughs> and when I read this, it makes me get goosebumps. <laughs> there should be something that happens when you read this passage. It should rise up a fear of the Lord in you that says, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Help me to have boldness. Help me to persevere. Help me to not neglect the gathering together. Help me to pray. And help me to fear you. The amazing thing about this, I'm going to read it actually. Acts 5.14. This is what immediately follows this event. Okay? In Acts 5.14 it says, And more than ever believers were added to the church. More than ever. This point, the church was beyond 10,000. Think about that. More than ever, believers were added to the church. Multitudes of both men and women. The church in America has been on the decline for years. Have we ever asked why and thought this might be it? There is a lack of the fear of the Lord present in the church in America. And it is maybe responsible, at least in part, for why the church has been so drastically declining. It has been on the decline since the turn of the century. It's been steadily going down. 2000, it was 70% claimed to be members of a church. 2005, 64. 2010, 61. 2015, 55. It's less than half officially now. First time ever in the history of our country. The fear of the Lord is largely absent in the church today. And this should be something that grieves your heart. It should be something that gets a check in your spirit that says, I need to change something. When this happened, nobody said, how dare you, God? You can't do that. No, or they would have joined them. <laughs> right? But what do we do when we read this stuff? Do we go, there's something wrong. I need to make a change. Lord, fix the foundation. Help repair these cracks. Or do we get comfortable? Brush over and say, hey, it's just a story. It's just something that happened. Man, if that happened today, what would happen? Right? I don't know, it might be happening today, and I just don't know about it. Another verse, Acts 9.31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. We like to remove that part. we like, I love the comfort of the Holy Spirit, God. I really like the peace. I love being built up. But then we neglect that one, right? We do it. We say, I really need some comfort, God. And he's like, well, yes, but also you need something else. The church multiplied unlike ever before. And the one thing that's there 
that is not in the other places it says it multiplied. The fear of the Lord. Multiplied more than ever. This is the only time, to my knowledge, I mean, I could be wrong, the only time that it ever says more than ever. Because you can kind of only say that once, right? (laughs) But that's what happens. More than ever, the church was growing. Maybe that's what's missing. I'm going to have the prayer team come on forward. If you're on the prayer team, be ready to pray, (laughs) right? If you need prayer for anything, maybe you're here and you're going, I need community. (laughs) I don't have it yet. I need some. And I need community of that. (laughs) Godly people that love me and encourage me to love. Love like God, which is a selfless kind of love that changes the world. Maybe you're here and you're going, I don't pray enough. I don't pray like I should. I did not go to any of those prayer meetings. And there was a stirring in my spirit that was saying, you should be there. You know who you are. (laughs) Maybe you need boldness. Maybe you're going, I know there's somebody that I'm supposed to be sharing my faith with. And I have so many chances I've had, and I'm not doing it. Well, come get some boldness. Perseverance. You need perseverance? You don't have boldness. You might need that too. (laughs) And then the fear of the Lord. All of these things really boil down to one thing, total dependency on God. You're not totally dependent on him if you don't have a fear of the Lord. You're not totally dependent on him if you're not praying. You're not totally dependent on him if you don't have community of believers because the church was his idea. If you don't have boldness, if you don't have perseverance, you're not totally depending on him. Do you lack one of these foundational things? And I encourage you to come get prayer. Let's stand up. I'm going to pray. 10.35. I did it. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get through all this. That's a lot of stuff. (laughs) It's enough for a series. (laughs) Lord, we need your Holy Spirit more than ever. God, I pray that we would have community birth starting today like we have never seen it before in our church. God, I pray that we would have an urgency of prayer that we respond to like we've never had before. I pray that we would have an A boldness rise up in us. Give us boldness, God, to not stop preaching the word. To not stop declaring the good news that you came to die for our sins, rose again, that we may have fellowship with you forever. You saw us as broken, and you said, I want them. And that goes for our neighbors, that goes for our coworkers, that goes for Anywhere that we are in this earth, you see people this way. You're filled with compassion. God, I pray that we would have perseverance, not giving up. I pray that we would have a fear of the Lord. Lord, bring it back into the church in America. Let it be something that changes changes the church. 
that we would get to work and we wouldn't stop because we say, he's my Lord, this is what he wants, not what I want maybe, but it doesn't matter what I want. My life is not my own. I was bought with a price, so I'm going to live for him. Lord, help us to live out the life that you want for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come get prayer if you need it.